Amen. I tell you what, it's a privilege for me to be able to stand before you this day. And uh, I'm certainly no stranger to any of you. If I am, I'll be glad to introduce myself to you afterwards. But I, ha- I feel privileged this morning. Um, Brother Billy called me yesterday before he was carried to the hospital and asked me. He was in a great pain yesterday, so pray for our pastor. He needs our prayer. Mr. Jim needs our prayers. And pray for each other. Uh, certainly we live in a day that we need, need the, uh, the prayers of the saints to be lifted up to our Heavenly Father. But I want to take you this morning in the message the Lord gave me yesterday in Jeremiah Chapter 4 is the key verse, verse 3 of chapter 4 that we'll be looking at, but we'll, we'll look at uh, chapter 3 also and talk about that. But if I had to put a title on this message this morning, I would say that it's time that you and I as Christians, we put our hand to the plow. Now some of you young people may not know what that means, but I understand what that means because I, though I'm not that old, I have walked behind a mule once in my lifetime. And there are those that are here that have done that many times. I know Barry has and Mitchell has and others of you have done that. But it's time that we as Christians, we put our hand to the plow. And as we look at this today in chapter 4, verse 3, God tells us in Jeremiah, He says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. Let us pray. Father, I do thank you again for the day. God, I thank you for this time that you have given Now, God, I pray that you would speak to my heart, Lord, and help me to say these words, Lord, that you have given me in a way that would be pleasing to thee. God, that they would be understanding. God, that they would be anointing. God, that they would be a blessing to those that would hear them. God, I stand before you this morning. God, I am a man with unclean lips. God, I am a man who's unworthy to call upon your name. But God, I thank you that through your grace and mercy that you have seen fit, to touch my life because of the love that you have for me. And God, I pray that you will take these words, that they'll not go out void and you'll use them for your glory. I pray that they will exalt Christ, our Lord and Savior. And God, they'll bring honor and praise into your precious name. And all things will be done in order. And God, you'll rightly divide the word according to your will. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and honor and glory. Now we pray this morning for our pastor. God, ask your blessings upon him. God, we pray for his dear wife. God, it's what she's been going through the last few days. Lord, bless them. And Lord, there's others in our, uh, our flock, God, that need a touch from heaven. God, you know who they are. And we know that you're the great physician and you're able to do above and beyond the things that we can even imagine. And God, we ask you to do those things now. That your name would be exalted and glorified. Not that we would receive any benefit from and of ourselves. But the name of Jesus would be lifted up. And Father, we're going to thank you now for what you're going to do. We're going to give you the praise and honor and glory for it all. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. I want us to take just a moment here and look in chapter 3 of Jeremiah. This is the first message of God that he has sent to Judah because of their sin. God begins here to tell Jeremiah to take this message to the people of Judah. They have turned against God. Uh, They have the message that Judah is to bring to them. God has condemned Judah for two reasons. And the two reasons are the fact that they have rejected Jehovah and they have turned to other idols and worshipped them. They're not serving and trusting in the holy and righteous God. The nation had forsaken the Lord and had gone into idolatry. When you look at that in the first five verses of chapter 3, you can see what has taken place there and what God says. 
Why had they done that? Judah had gone over to idolatry because it was the easy way and it was the popular way. The world says it's fine and it made it easy for them. When we turn to the things that are not of God and we serve other gods in our life, what happens? Well, it becomes our God and it becomes more important to us than Christ himself. They had turned themselves over unto idolatry and they were serving uh, adultery and other gods and not serving the true and living God. The, the standard of, of their lives had decayed and morality had set in. It was a path that would have a devastating outcome for them. And God began to speak to them through the prophet Jeremiah. There was great immorality in the land. It says, God's word says they had played the harlot, yet God had asked them to return unto him. Adultery is not simply something that, uh, like a little idol to worship. Anything that a person gives themselves to wholeheartedly put your attention to can be adultery. The Bible teaches that covetousness is adultery. Why? When you covet something, you give it time and energy. It becomes first and foremost. You become dedicated to it. When a person turns from the living God, they will turn to something else and it becomes their God and it becomes their idol. And God said that's what was Judah's problem, that they had turned from the living God and not turned unto him. He begged them, he asked them to turn unto him and repent of their sins, and they did not do that. And what the thing about it was, if you look in chapter 3 and verse 3, it says not only there, he says, Wherefore the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain, and thou hast a whore's forehead, thou refusest to be ashamed. They were not even ashamed of their sin. They were not ashamed of their uh, uh, awayness from God. Of anything that they did, they were not ashamed. Does that sound like America today? We are not ashamed as a nation anymore that our God does not have his words in our, in our uh, state halls and in our buildings. We are not ashamed anymore that our sin has corrupted our society and has trickled into the school system and it has trickled into uh, the government system and it has caused our, our immor- immorality to grow in our society today just like it did in Judah's time. Our nation is not ashamed anymore of our sin that we have committed before a holy and righteous God. <clears throat> in verse 6, the Lord asked Judah to repent from their backsliding. God has charged the people with backsliding. He used this word in chapter 3 seven times. And in Jeremiah, we find that this word more often is used than any other place in the Bible. Now, backsliding does not just mean to slide backwards, as we might think it would. God gives us a vivid picture of what he means by backsliding when he tells us over in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 16, for Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever had any dealings with any cows before. I know Brother Ray probably has. Uh, I used to, when I was a little boy, used to go over here to Mr. William Stewart's house. He had cows and used to help him load them up sometimes when he was taking them to the market to sell. And what happens when you try to load that cow? When you try to put him on that, that gate and try to get him up in that trailer, then he begins to move. Then all of a sudden, his front feet will stiffen. And his legs will stiffen and he will stop. He will not move. He will become hard-headed. He will become difficult to uh, make him move in the direction that you want him to move. Um, 
He will not uh, move his feet at all in the direction you want him to go. Uh, He would brace himself in such a way that you could not move that cow. And when we would try to move him, he would start slipping down the ramp backwards because of his stiffness and his hardness. And that is God's picture of what it means to be backslidden. Backsliding is a refusal to go God's way and a refusal to listen to him. That's where Judah was. In fact, Scripture says in chapter 3, verse 11, that Judah's sin was even worse than Israel's sin. And I would say to you today that I believe America's sin is even worse than Judah's sin was back then, during that time. When we set our wills against God's will, we wind up going backwards every time. God tells us as a nation to take a lesson from Israel. America has been in a backslidden condition for a while. What happened to Israel should be a warning to you and I as God's people and as a nation under the grace of God to look unto Him who has given us the the things that we have in life, who has given us the Word of God, who has given that in our hearts through the Holy Spirit if we're saved today, to not live in a way that is contrary to His Word and to walk in His precepts and to walk in His statutes and His commandments and keep the Word of God that he might be honored and glorified. Amen. What happened to Israel should be that warning to us. The tragedy is in our country, we have the word of God. They didn't have the word of God. Judah only had a prophet that came from God who gave them the word. They didn't have the word of God. We have pastors. We have preachers. We have the word of God that we're supposed to read and study and speak to our hearts. But the problem is very few people are reading it. Very few people are reading the Word of God today and letting it work reproof in our lives and allowing it to change us for the glory of God, for the continuation of the gospel in our nation, that we as a nation once again might be one nation under God, indivisible. There's a lack of the confession of sin, and there's a lack of repentance in the hearts of God's people of today. I don't see the spirit of brokenness that I remember seeing one time as a child. I don't see that spirit in our churches today. In the past, those churches that were strong, Bible-teaching, believing churches who stood firmly on the things of God and on the Word of God, they've turned their pulpits of God into a talk show environment or into an entertainment stage. My friend, let me ask you a question. You say that you're saved. What do you mean by that? If I'd asked you face-to-face, toe-to-toe, If you're saved and you say yes, then what do you mean by that? What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? You say you've trusted Christ. Trusted Him for what is my question. You say you've trusted Him as your Savior. And that's great. And that's wonderful. And that's good to hear. Did He save you from sin? Or did He save you? Do you think He saved you for another reason? Well, the Bible says that He saved you from sin, that He died on the cross, that He gave Himself for you. He didn't die on the cross to give you a new personality. He didn't die on the cross just to give you riches. He didn't die on the cross just to make you popular. He died on the cross that you might come to Him in brokenness and weeping and trust Him as Lord and Savior, that you might be all, that He might be all in your life that you can be. For His glory. You see the word of God through Jeremiah. Is acknowledged thy iniquity. And it is directed to us as well as Judah. 
Beloved, we have a Bible teaching pastor here at this church. And we ought to tell him how much we love him every day. We ought to tell him and pray for him every day. Because Satan will come against him. And the thing about it is, we have that godly man that stands in this pulpit and teaches the Word of God. And they are far and few between in our society today. Because I go to churches and I see them. I see where the pulpits have been taken down and the seats have been set up. And they sit on a stand. And they've got certain kind of music that they play. And things that they do that are not of the old paths of how this book was written years ago. God says, stay to the old paths. Keep your hand to the plow. And don't look back. Keep your eye upon Jesus and focus upon Him. You see, we're to acknowledge our iniquity. That's what God wants us to do. You see, in our pastor, we should protect him because he is valuable. And like I said before, there are men that are far and few between in our day that are like him. In verse 15 of chapter 3, the Lord says to Israel that he will give them pastors according to my heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. He says, I'll give you pastors, Israel. I will give you leaders. I will give you shepherds. That is to promise the restoration to a repentant nation. Godly leaders, men after God's own heart, serving under the great shepherd himself. Godly leaders. We have an election coming up. I'm not trying to be politically correct. I don't know who to vote for because I don't know that they know Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I believe one of them doesn't, and the other one probably not either. But godly leaders, so because of our sin, He gives us what we deserve, as He will do Israel, and He did Israel. He will do the same thing for our nation. He will give us what we deserve as a nation. And we are headed down a road of destruction as we stand here this morning because of our sin and our iniquity that is in our land. Isaiah 34, 11 says, For this saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. You see, God promises Judah to gather them together. God promises Israel to gather them together from all places. And He said, I will bring you to Zion. They shall be brought to Jerusalem. And He promises to set over them these pastors that will be a blessing to them. He'll give them the leaders and the ministers that they need. And I know during this time here, he's talking about uh, the, the millennium rule that he's referring to. But you and I now, we are seeing a great change, wave of change in our society. We are seeing the things of God. They will talk of God, but they'll not talk about Christ. Because you see, Jesus is what they have the problem with. That's what the Pharisees had the problem with, was the name of Jesus. That's why they took Peter and all the apostles and locked them up and beat them. Not because they were preaching God, but because they were preaching in Jesus' name. Because they were edifying and exalting Jesus Christ, whom they had crucified. That's the problem with our society today. That's the problem with our nation today. And the church has failed in its response responsibility to gird its loins and stand up for the cause of Christ and take its position on that solid rock to exalt Christ no matter what might come our way. He promised them these pastors. He promised them that he would do this for them. And he is referring there to the millennium kingdom. But at the present time, Judah was not humble before God. 
And God had to send them into captivity. You see, God will not tolerate sin but for a season. You don't believe that? You read Acts chapter 5 and verse 3 when Ananias and Sapphira, they came and they blasphemed the Holy Spirit of God. And before the presence of the apostles, Peter confronted them on that and immediately the Holy Ghost fell upon them and they both died in the presence of the apostles. God will not tolerate sin but for a season before judgment comes. I've often wondered when the Lord's going to punish America. He may have already started. We need to humble ourselves and seek His face. We need to push God. You say, what does that mean? Push God. I learned this from the women. Pray until something happens. Amen? Pray until something happens. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of not praying until something happens. Are you? Pray until something happens. We want to see revival. Pray until something happens. We get tied up in our world, in our little boxes. We get inside our boxes and we don't want to get out for the things of God. We don't marvel at the miracles of God. We marvel at what man's done for us. We marvel at what our job does. We marvel at the things that we have, the stuff that we accumulate over the years. We marvel at these things that are going to burn in a fire one day and won't make a hill of beans when eternity comes. It won't make to a hill of beans. I didn't want to preach this this morning. He deals with backsliding of the people. When God called the backsliding of Israel to return, they answered him and said, Lord, we have returned. You see, they were turning to God in an outward manner. They were going to the temple. They were going through the rituals. But their heart was not in it. This shows us that there can be reformation without revival. And you see, reformation without revival is never a genuine change. God tells us to turn to Him. He told Judah, He said, return to the holy worship that you once had with me. The Lord is saying to Israel, and He's saying to His church today, we must abandon all sin. And not retain any of the relics of the idolatry that we have been involved in. Remove them from every place in our society, in our homes, in view of our sight. And give God the glory that He is due. Reformation is no good. But revival is. We need revival. And I looked that word up, revival. In the old Webster dictionary that I have. And it says, revival is Renewed attention after indifference and decline, a period of religious awakening. And that refers to coming out of a sleep and you're marveled within yourself. A religious awakening. You see, you can sow the seed on the ground, but the ground must first be prepared. The Lord also said it another way. He said, neither cast your perils before swine. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6. Judah must do by their hearts as they do by their ground if it is to produce. 
And the same is true for you and I. They must plow it up. We are to break up our, hallow, our fallow ground. We are not to sow among the thorns. We are not to labor in vain. Just here in the last few days, Erskine went over to Food Line and bought some black eyed peas. Prepared the ground for them, planted them out, and Brother Mitchell sat right there the other night and eat some of them black eyed peas out of the hole from the Food Line store. Well, he planted some pork and beans. He didn't get no pork and he didn't get no beans out of them either. But what it says is you've got to prepare the ground for change to take place. You've got to prepare the ground. We are to put ourselves in a position fit to receive mercy from God and put away all things that keep us from, keeps Him from us. You see, an unconvinced, unhumbled heart is like fallow ground. Grounded is untilled. Grounded is unoccupied. It is ground capable of improvement. It is our ground. We are accountable for it, but it is as fallow. It is an unfenced and lies common. It is unfruitful and of no advantage. Fallow ground is overgrown with thorns and weeds, which are the nature product of a corrupt heart. If it's not renewed with grace, rain and sunshine are lost upon it. We as a nation and as a Christian people must get this fallow ground plowed up. We must search our hearts and let the Word of God divide between the joints and the marrow, according to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Our hearts must be turned to God. There's an expression we hear sometimes, and we've heard it much more in the past than in the last days, that our nation is a godly nation. Well, folks, I don't believe that anymore. There is no more emphasis on the Word of God. Our nation is not following the true and living God as a nation. God has His remnant. I'm not saying that. I'm saying as a nation. The foundations that this nation was created on by God and established by man when they came here was the things of God and His glory, and His purpose, and and following Him. And we are no longer in that same way. You see, we are a nation that are laughed at and ridiculed and despised around the world by other nations. And God said it would happen. A nation cannot pretend to be God-fearing and be hypocritical about it and still expect the world to look up to them. They make fun of us. As a nation, because we have no godly values as a nation anymore. And aside from that, that which is to be dreaded by us more than anything else is the wrath of God. You see, it's the evil of our doings that kennels the fire of God's wrath against us. What's going to happen? I don't know. But I know I'm still looking to Him. I know I'm still pinning upon Him. And I know if there's a time in my life that I've ever got close enough to Him like old John the Beloved did when he got up next to Christ and laid his head on his bosom, I need to be in that position. Because you see, devastation is going to come. 
If a man comes to my house and takes my family from me or says, if you deny Christ, I'll let them go. But if you don't deny Christ, I'm going to kill them before your eyes. Where will you stand? We have to stand on the truth. We have to stand on the foundation. We have to stand on the Word of God. This killing that just took place here a few days ago in in that um, uh, movie theater in Oklahoma, wherever it was, there's coming a time that the weapons are going to be taken from you and I. They're going to disarm us because there's certain steps. There's an under, there's an underlying agenda that Satan has right now, and he started it years ago, back on in the late fifties and sixties, when he took prayer out of school and when he began to tear the family uh, uh, down together and try to separate that. And we see divorce rising. We see families involved with with drugs, and we see homosexuality, and we see uh, the things of God that's been perverted, and we see uh, these things that takes place in our society today that. They no longer call sin that was sin 50 years ago. God's not going to turn his back on those things. There's going to be a payday one day. And it's going to be the wrath, I'm afraid, of a holy and righteous God. When we consider consider this imminent danger, it should awaken us to sanctify ourselves and turn into God with all our mind, with all our body, and with all our soul. Beloved, we need to break up our fallow ground on which nothing grows but the produce of nature, such as weeds and thorns. We need to turn to the Lord with all our being and let the Lord break up this fallow ground in our hearts. Because God's Word is quick, it's powerful, it's sharp, it cuts deep, and it makes long and large furrows. And it's even strong has strong conviction of sin. You see, it turns a person inside out as a plow does the earth and lays all the wickedness of his heart open to him that we might see ourselves as we really are and that we might come humbly before a holy and righteous God confessing our sins and asking Him to forgive us and direct our steps through His Word that we might be a vessel of honor before Him. You see, it lays out the wickedness of our heart. It roots up the pride and the vanity and the boasting and the lust. And it makes way for the seed of divine grace to be sown there. You see, for my grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So when we look at that, we have nothing to boast about. We have nothing to exalt ourselves in whatsoever. We have no claim to anything in this world because it belongs to the Lord to start with. He has just made us stewards of what we have. Where I live belongs to Him. Where I, what land I have belongs to Him. And Four Oaks Bank part of it. What I have belongs to God. It is not mine. Just like as I am saved by the blood of Jesus, I don't belong to myself. I belong to Him. And if you're here today and you've been through the blood of Jesus, you've been saved, you've been to the cross of Calvary, and you've been there and knelt down before Him and asked Him to forgive you of sin, then you're no longer yourself. You belong to Him. Folks, it's time that we as Christians begin to live like that, begin to serve like that, begin to pray like that, 
Begin to seek like that. Begin to walk like that. Begin to sit like that. Begin to stand like that. As a servant of the living and holy and righteous God. I'm fixing to close. Solomon expresses it in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 when he says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What is he saying? Christ is everything or He's nothing. That's what he's saying. Let's all stand. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Ask Miss Brenda, she'll come. Brad, if you've got a song, brother, come with it. I asked you a question this morning. This message this morning is where the Lord led me yesterday. I don't know why. Maybe, and I believe that's partly true, it's just as much for me as it is for anybody else here this morning. But if you're here today and you have never experienced the salvation of the Lord in your life, today is the day of salvation for you. Now I ask you this morning, if you're here this morning and you're saved, you know that you have a home in heaven, would you signify that by the lifting up of your hand? If you're here this morning and you're not saved, that you've never been to Calvary's cross, you've never had the effects of the holy blood of Christ to cleanse you from your sin, then I ask you to raise your hand this morning. I won't embarrass you. I won't come to you. I'll just pray for you and ask God to deal with your heart. Is there one here this morning that is like that? Anywhere in the building, one anywhere. then I can assume by that that everyone in this facility is saved this morning. Then I ask you this question. People, are you where you need to be in your fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He priority one in your life? Does He mean more to you than life itself? He is a gracious and mighty God who loves us without waver. And in turn, He asks us to love Him. Now I ask you this morning, this altar is open. Don't leave this building today. If there's anything in your life, in your heart that needs cleaning, ask God to do it for you this morning. Come out of this altar and give it unto the Savior who is able to cleanse and to make right, glorify and magnify His name and confess that sin or confess that waveringness or confess the fact that you've not lived like you should before Him. And I don't mean it's something greatly bad. You've just been busy. You've been involved with things and you've not considered Him. You've not meditated upon His Word like you should. Ask Him to help us all in these last days that we might be the vessels of honor He'd have us to be, that we might be godly men and women and boys and girls, that we might love one another and love Him as we've never loved Him before. I ask you this morning, 
to come before him and open up your heart if nothing but to say thank you Lord thank you Father for your grace and mercy upon me oh God I am a man of unclean lips and unworthy to call upon your name thank you Lord just come before him this morning and give him your all because he is all to you and desires that close walk Do it this day for His glory, for His purpose.